This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with breaking news in the politics lead. We are in day two of what well could end up proving to be a long national nightmare. Any moment, President Trump is expected to take questions from reporters as the threat of impeachment hangs over his presidency. We are entering a moment in history. Today, the White House released a rough transcript of the July 25th phone call in which President Trump clearly asks Ukraine's President Zelensky to work with Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, and Attorney General Bill Barr, America's chief law enforcement officer, to investigate his potential 2020 Democratic opponent, Joe Biden, and Biden's son, Hunter. Of the Bidens, we should note, again, the Ukrainian prosecutor has already said there is no evidence that they did anything wrong. The context of the president's call, Mr. Trump was holding up hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to Ukraine, aid that Zelensky desperately needed to fight off Russian aggression. So much of what we do know about the scandal has already been admitted by the president or by Rudy Giuliani or stated out in the open. Sitting with Zelensky this afternoon, for instance, the president attacked Hunter Biden while noting that Zelensky is known for anti-corruption. He also brought up the aid that the U.S. is now providing Ukraine. When Biden's son walks away with millions of dollars from Ukraine and he knows nothing and they're paying him millions of dollars, that's corruption. I think that's a horrible thing. I think it's a horrible thing. We put up a lot of money. I gave you anti-tank busters that, frankly, President Obama was sending you pillows and sheets. And I gave you anti-tank busters. And a lot of people didn't want to do that, but I did it. Many Republican elected officials are today following the White House's lead and acting as if this transcript is somehow exculpatory and that the scandal is not real. That is not accurate. The transcript is not exculpatory. And the scandal is real. That's according at least to Utah Senator Mitt Romney, who called the transcript, quote, deeply troubling. And former Republican, now independent Congressman Justin Amash, who called it, quote, highly incriminating. It seems the president doesn't know the difference between right and wrong, he tweeted. Late today, the Washington Post reported that Joseph McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, scheduled to testify before both the House and Senate intelligence committees tomorrow, threatened to resign if the White House continued to force him to stonewall Congress. McGuire later denied ever considering stepping down. Let's get right to CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins, who's traveling with the president in New York. And Caitlin, not surprising, the White House is trying to say nothing to see here, but there certainly is. Yeah, this is not the reaction the White House was expecting. They thought they were going to put out this transcript. It was going to prove that the president didn't say anything inappropriate, tying military aid to the Biden family and potential investigations. And instead, in the president's own words, people can read how not only did he bring up Joe Biden, but he also told the Ukrainian president to be in touch with the U.S. attorney general and his personal attorney on potential corruption investigations. He pushed a theory about stolen emails from 2016 tying that to military aid immediately after the Ukrainian president brought it up. And it's also raising questions about the conduct of his attorney general now that people are learning that this was actually uh, had a criminal referral that the Justice Department dismissed, said it what they weren't going to start an investigation into it. So it's essentially having, Jake, the opposite effect of what the White House thought that it was going to do by releasing this transcript. What are White House sources telling you privately about this call? 
Basically, they thought this was going to get Democrats off their back. And instead, it's done the opposite with Democrats now doubling down and focusing specifically, they say, potentially on the president's conduct with the Ukrainian president. And instead, in turn, President Trump has essentially been incredulous. He thought that his efforts to reach out to the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi yesterday were going to get Democrats to back off of this. It's done right the opposite, Jake. All right, Caitlin Collins traveling with the president to New York. Thanks so much. Uh, As we wait for the president, let's chew over all this with our experts. Bill, let me start with you. Why do you think President Trump thought that releasing this transcript was somehow going to clear things up as opposed to the reaction that it got from Democrats and people like Mitt Romney and people like yourself? I mean, I think, though, I think the House had made clear enough that if he didn't release the transcript, that itself would be just impeachable for obstruction. So maybe they're telling everyone, oh, it's going to clear us. I mean, they're so used to getting away with gaslighting and just having it be, be what they say it's going to be that I suppose they've told everyone, we thought it was going to clear us. Maybe it was just desperation. Uh, and uh, Mike, as a former FBI agent and as a former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, in looking at this transcript, and we know that this is just one part of what the whistleblower was concerned about, but do you understand why an intelligence professional listening to that call would have his antenna go up? Yeah, and it sounds like in the complaint, the whistleblower complaint, there's other yes. uh, issues as well. But of course it would. Uh, you're in, you, you never use domestic politics overseas. Uh, and you never try to entangle domestic issues overseas. For even members uh, who travel overseas of both parties, you don't go overseas and badmouth the president. I don't care if it's of your party or not of your party. It's, it's not done for the interests of the United States. So when you start dragging domestic politics overseas, it's going to send off all kinds of red flags. And if the intelligence professionals around that conversation are going to say, hey, wait a minute, you can't stop the money for a domestic political issue, you can, this happens a lot. You don't do X country Y, we're going to do Y. That's going to happen. Right? That's not a quid pro quo. That's kind of tough negotiation. Right. This smells like something different. They have a long way, to, in my mind, to get to impeachment, but this does smell like something different. And, and Laura, is there a crime here, potentially? At least one, Jake. You have, number one, you have the idea of asking a foreign national, a foreign government, the president, to interfere with an election here in the U.S. That's a crime. You have the idea of, remember everyone talks about high crimes and misdemeanors as kind of a nebulous concept? Well, also in there is the word bribery, a specifically outlined part of impeachable offenses. And bribery, in its sense, is asking you to give me something in exchange for an official act. Before I give you money for military aid, I, you have to scratch my back and give me dirt on a political party. Although this is not a direct quid pro quo. It is not a direct quid pro quid pro quo, but you know, when you're getting the idea of semantics about whether or not you are actually giving me something of value here for what I'm asking you to do, you are already in losing territory when, when politically speaking, Congress has the ability to say, this is definable as that. You also have the idea of whether you're asking for somebody to essentially have abuse of power here and corruption of using taxpayer dollars to finance your campaign initiative and incentives. You have a whole host of things wrong here. But remember, this happened the day after he thought Robert Mueller poorly performed in his hearing and thought maybe he was emboldened and maybe the bright, shiny objects over time. He thought blinded him in his own own intellect. Mm -hmm. Is there a risk here for Democrats? I mean, impeachment is a very drastic step. We've only seen it happen a a few times in our nation's history. It it is, of course. We don't know where this is going to head. We haven't seen confirmation that there will be a floor vote. We don't know exactly what the process will look like. But, you know, I think that, that because of her strategic patience, I'll call it, 
What happened for Speaker Pelosi is that this was led by seven Democrats who are freshmen from red and purple states um, who have national security credentials, who are not seen as political, not seen as grandstanders. They became the face of the move to actually move forward with impeachment. I think that is politically far more advantageous for Democrats than it ha- would have been just a few weeks ago. Well, just, I mean, I just, this was a phone call made by the president of the United States from the Oval Office to a foreign leader two months ago asking for, you know, basically, well, trying to get dirt on a political opponent. And I believe also and the foreign leader would know that the aid has been held up, congressionally appropriated aid, not discretionary aid for the mm-hmm. president. This isn't something that happened in the campaign three years ago, a confusing meeting in Trump Tower. And, uh, you know, kind of who knows what Don Jr. told the president. This isn't even the cover-up in 2017 and the kind of chaos of Air Force One, and they put out a misleading statement about who knew what. I, I think the degree to which this is, and there's no Mueller. I think that's a very important fact. You know, a year ago, the reaction of House Democrats who wanted to avoid confronting this would be, well, let Robert Mueller investigate it. And right. We'll see what he finds out. This is their responsibility. If he is not, if there's no impeachment process, the House of Representatives of the United States is saying this is fine. And, and by the way, you don't have to have the full investigation the same way you did with Robert Mueller because the president has told you what he's done. You've almost facilitated the idea and you've streamlined the process and said, I wonder whether the president has engaged in behavior when he says, here is what I did. It accelerates the entire thing to then say, well, now it's a matter of if what you did constitutes for us an impeachable offense, not whether you actually did it. I think more importantly, too, we're talking about looking retrospectively, looking in the background and saying, do we want to maybe have this partisan relitigation they thought of an actual election as opposed Mm -hmm. to looking ahead? Can I nip something in the bud? Can I stop an interference in the future? The American people have a very different stance and they should on prospective conduct. And I was going to say, I mean, I think the politics also have shifted a bit because there's been a lot of focus for months on where Democrats would be, where House Democrats would be, how many would come for impeachment, if any from red or purple states would come for impeachment. We know where they are. They're moving toward that direction. Now the question will, I think, and should shift to Republicans in the Senate, where they are on this. People who are vulnerable, like Susan Collins and Cory Gardner, are they going to stand by the president of the United States who, you know, uh, who was going to hold back military assistance to get political beneficial information on his opponent? Is that where they're going to be in their vulnerable races? So even on the politics of it, I think it's shifted a bit as well. And just to be fair, though, the Senate voted unanimous uh, to move forward on getting the whistleblower. And if you're ever going to get to an investigation, you need the facts. So to be fair, those Republicans came out and said, yes, we're going to we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to support the effort to get this document. I agree, but but they've also been quite quiet and and quite quiet to date. And I think that's not going to stand for much longer. The the focus will shift. This is so much more manageable than the giant Mueller report. It's a discreet act, you know, set of acts with Giuliani going over there, the phone call. It's It's one country. Uh, it's pretty easy to investigate. There are a couple of documents, the transcript and the whistleblower report. There are 10, 20 people who you would want to have testimony from. If they don't testify, then that becomes itself a question of whether that kind of obstruction is impeachable. This is a much more manageable way to go forward in terms of investigating and conceivably impeaching than, you know, a whole medley of things that have happened over the last three Although, years. Although, to be fair, as uh, Congressman uh, Rogers pointed out, there is a medley that we're going to get because the whistleblower complaint is about more than one thing. So there are going to be other items, including potentially, I would mm-hmm. guess, 
Giuliani's outreach mm -hmm. and more. But all Ukraine focused. All Ukraine focused. Think, I see where you're saying. Uh, yeah, I'm saying it's a one set of events over three, four, five, six months yeah, okay. with a certain set of actors. Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, various people from the intelligence community. Is Who said what when? I mean, Mr. Giuliani, what did you discuss with the president? He'll say, oh, attorney-client privilege. Well, you actually weren't acting as the president's personal attorney there. You were just acting as kind of an envoy abroad for political purposes. So I, I think it's a more manageable thing for the Democrats mm -hmm. to manage. And let me just, I want to bring in CNN uh, senior White House correspondent Pamela Brown now. She has more on this rough transcript of this call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky. Uh, Pamela, walk us through exactly what this rough transcript says, because I know the White House thought this was going to clear them, mm -hmm. but it's really actually had the opposite effect. It appears that way. And, you know, you're hearing President Trump today defending himself, saying, I never pressed the Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden. But we have the transcript. It is illuminating. And the reader and the viewer can decide for themselves what they think. Let me walk you through it here. The president starting off after exchanging pleasantries with reminding Zelensky of all the U.S. has done for Ukraine, saying, quote, when I was speaking to Angela Merkel, she talks Ukraine, but she doesn't do anything. A lot of the European countries are on the same way, are the same way. So I think think it's something you want to look at. But the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily because things are happening that are not good. But the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. Following that, President Zelensky brings up the military aid that the U.S. gives to Ukraine, thanking President Trump for that. And President Trump went on to say, well, I want to ask you a favor, though. Uh, he started off talking about his conspiracy theory that Ukrainians might have the DNC service from the 2016 election. And then on page four of this five-page transcript, he brings up Biden, saying, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, dot, 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 it sounds horrible to me. So this was his first time where he actually mentions Biden by name. But, Jake, it's important to note uh, that he obliquely references the Biden investigation, reopening that several times throughout the course of the conversation, urging uh, President Zelensky to work with his own attorney general, Bill Barr, and private attorney Rudy Giuliani on the matter. We should also note that there is no evidence of any wrongdoing uh, by Joe Biden in this case. Uh, the president then we should we should note how President Zelensky responded to that, saying, first of all, I understand and I'm knowledgeable about the situation. Since we have won the absolute majority in our parliament, the next prosecutor general will be 100 percent my person, my candidate, who will be approved by the parliament and will start as a new prosecutor in September. He or she will look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue. We know that prosecutor is now in office, Jake. Um, and so White House officials and Republicans are saying, look, it's not so damning. Uh, there was not an explicit quid pro quo. But Jake, it is certainly implied here. And we know the president talks in his own language. His former fixer, Michael Cohen, once said that he speaks in code. And it's clear he started off this conversation discussing all that the U.S. does for Ukraine to tee up uh, the later requests in the conversation. Now, uh, Democrats say it doesn't matter whether there was quid pro quo or not. What matters is that key graph on Joe Biden, where the president asked the Ukrainian president to essentially reopen an investigation into his political rival, Joe Biden. Again, the president defending himself, saying, no, he didn't pressure him. But what's interesting, if you look at this in, in a larger context here, Jake, mm -hmm. this is also illuminating because, once again, you 
have the president uh, working with his, trying to work with his own attorney general to investigate a political rival too. What makes it clear in this transcript is that he wants his attorney general to be involved in this. Our past reporting is he has done the same with his acting attorney general, Mark Whitaker, uh, with his White House counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton, to investigate James Comey. So it's interesting in light of that as well. And it's one piece of the puzzle though, Jake, this is one conversation between President Trump and President Zelensky um, from July. There's another conversation in April we don't know the contents of. All right, Pamela Brown, breaking it down for us. Thank you uh, so much. Um, while we continue to wait for President Trump to come out, let's continue to talk about this. And, and uh, uh, Congressman Rogers, I mean, I'm just thinking in my head, the, the, the comparable analogy would be Barack Obama in, in 2011 asking Ukraine, Russia, whatever, to investigate one of Mitt Romney's sons. Uh, and if it came out in the exact same transcript, except it was Obama saying it to a foreign leader about Romney and one of his sons, I, I, I don't think that there's any doubt that the Republican Party would be up in arms and calling for impeachment immediately. This doesn't seem to be anything other than uh, pretty clear cut to me about how people would respond if the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah, and I can even get closer. The, the fact and I was one of them that was adamantly opposed and objected to Hillary Clinton go using uh, foreign surrogates into an adversarial country to try to find campaign dirt. I thought that oh, when she terrible. hired the research firm. Absolutely. And I and I was very vocal then. And I argue this doesn't look all that much different to me. And we should be outraged at his actions. I think what you're seeing with Republicans is lot. We need lots of other data to make sure that we're, this impeachment is the right answer. All right. We're going to take a very uh, quick break. It's a very fast moving afternoon. We're going to break down lots more coming up. Stay with us. Breaking news in our politics lead. We are still waiting for President Trump's news conference expected in just moments. While the threat of impeachment hangs over his presidency, we have learned that the whistleblower's complaint has been delivered to some members of Congress. So let's go straight to Capitol Hill where we find CNN Sunland Sirfati. Sunland, uh, what do we know? Who has it? Well, we know, Jake, that the whistleblower complaint at least has been definitely confirmed to be delivered Senate side to the Senate Intelligence Committee. And that's according to chairman of that committee, Senator Richard Byrd. Burr, he just came out of the skiff, that classified secure location and confirmed to reporters. Yet, Yes, indeed, he has started to read the report as well as other members uh, in that room. He uh, declined to offer any sort of initial impressions of what the whistleblower's complaint said. Uh, but again, confirming that now members of Congress have their eyes on this report. And according to Senator Cornyn, a top Republican on that committee, the expectation is at least Senate side that members of the Intel Committee will get to view it today. And then potentially the whistleblower complaint could be opened up to additional members, more members outside of the Intel Committee tomorrow. So potentially a broader group of members of Congress uh, over Senate side. Now, over in the House side, there's some activity as well as the House Intelligence Committee also braces to potentially receive the whistleblower complaint. Just a few minutes ago, we saw chairman of that committee, Adam Schiff, walk past reporters, go into that secure classified room where they do review these classified documents. Um, and certainly we saw, according to the reporters outside, an individual deliver a blue folder, that indicative of delivering sort of classified information. So again, all clues here is that House and Senate side are seeing their first look at this whistleblower complaint. Jake. All right, Sunland Sirfati on Capitol Hill with that breaking news. Thanks so much. Uh, you used to be the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. T tell me about this process uh, that's, that's going on right now, although I don't know 
that you ever saw a whistleblower complaint from the intelligence community, did you? Not in that way. We did have people from the intelligence community have whistleblower complaints come directly to the committee, and we opened up a file, assigned an investigator, took them seriously. In this particular case, given this unique set of circumstances, it triggered all these legal questions. I still believe that the committees have the right and authority, based on the 1947 uh, law as updated, to talk to these individuals directly. That being said, this, the, both of the documents are going to be delivered to both chairman and, and ranking members all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably nicked that, that group down a little bit to make sure it doesn't leak. And remember, this is an incredibly important responsibility. If these folks are running out to the microphone saying, oh, here's the five things in the whistleblower report, and, uh, and anywhere get a, to a push an identity for that particular person, they're right. in violation of the law. Uh, I worry a little bit about this hyper-partisan political nature that somebody just can't help themselves. Now that they have it, and they have it under the whistleblower law the way it was written, they have incredible responsibility to keep that quiet. I think that's probably better. Go do the investigation, find all the points, start doing your inquiry through the appropriate channels in each committee, we'll probably get to a better place. This hyper- run to the microphone, can't wait to tell you what I know, is really dangerous in this process. I want to bring in uh, Phil Mudd, who used to work for both the FBI uh, and the CIA. Uh, Phil, uh, tell me your response to everything going on right now. What, what strikes you as, as, uh, as important that, that we might be missing? I feel like I'm defaulting into the investigative mode. We're looking at a small slice of the puzzle. That is what one official said he heard on a phone call. We don't know, obviously, the extent of the whistleblower complaint. There's a lot of stuff I want to know that the whistleblower knows, which is why he has to or she has to appear in person. Who else was aware of these conversations, including the specific conversation with the president, but also any follow-up conversations with people like Giuliani? Number two, is there other data out there? For example, NSC, National Security Council emails in the aftermath of the presidential conversation saying, this is what we're going to do. And third and most important, were there peripheral conversations on the order of things like, well, the president said that somebody, let's say the ambassador in Ukraine, has to tell the Ukrainians, if you act on this, it's more likely that you're going to get money related to defense assistance. The, the, the whistleblower report's important, but man, it is, it's a small slice of the puzzle. And let's talk about this whole quid pro quo thing. We've had people say, like Mitt Romney and others, it doesn't matter if there's a quid pro quo. It's inappropriate to ask a foreign leader for dirt on a domestic political opponent. But let's go into this one part of the call that's in the transcript. The Ukrainian president says, quote, we are ready to continue to cooperate for the next step. Specifically, we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. So that's a desire for military aid expressed by the Ukrainian president. To that point, President Trump then responds, quote, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. He then asks the Ukrainians for two things. The first one is to investigate CrowdStrike. That's the company that the DNC hired after it was hacked, after CrowdStrike concluded that the Russians were to blame. President Trump apparently still doesn't believe that the Russians are to blame. And then he brings up Joe and Hunter Biden. To you, is that a quid pro quo? Just to you. Yes, especially in the context, we're allowed to assume that these people know what's going on in the world around them. There was aid appropriated by Congress after considerable debate, incidentally. It wasn't like a little thing. <laughs> Lethal aid, this was debated way back in the Obama administration, as general members. But in any case, they, they appropriate. Trump is holding it up. So the president of Ukraine is well aware that he hasn't gotten the aid he thought he was going to get a few months before. 
And it now turns out from reporting, and quite reliable reporting apparently, that there was a huge fight in the administration about this. And the fact state and defense and NSC, pretty much all the re- relevant players, all thought, hey, where, why is this aid held up? It was held up by OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, headed by, by, by Mick Mulvaney, who also happens to be the president's acting chief of staff. It was held up by Trump. So that's the context of this. Trump personally overrides the relevant agencies of his own administration to hold up the aid. The aid has been held up. The president of Ukraine knows the aid has been held up. And Trump says, hey, do me a favor. And we also know from the Mueller report and all of the time we've all spent talking about it, that Trump and the team around him are willing to accept uh, information about a political opponent from a foreign government. So he that is that knowable. He told that to George Stephanopoulos in June. He doesn't see anything wrong with it necessarily. It's Well, it's knowable. And so, you know, I think... Um, Anyone, any member of Congress, any of us who are looking at this, that's the backdrop. Um, There's a willingness to it. In this case, he didn't just, uh, you know, be willing to receive it. He asked for it. Uh, And the context of that, I think, uh, kind of can lead us to some conclusions. And that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, the idea of the solicitation alone can be criminal activity. I mean, imagine if you were in a different scenario of a hitman status. And if I ask you to commit a homicide, you need not actually accomplish that for me or do it. It is a solicitation of the crime that's equally important. And you're a public official. The public corruption statutes essentially say you cannot ask for something in exchange for an official act. If you're thinking about the official act being what Congress has already appropriated to give military aid in some form or fashion, and you're saying whatever way, scratch my back or let me ask you for a favor, this is a this is a, a more than what Mitt Romney says about problematic. It could actually be criminal behavior. And remember, here's impeachment. The pre- here's the president of the United States. Uh, listen, let's listen in. Secretary of Treasury Steve Mnuchin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you all for being here. We've had a tremendous three days in New York at the United Nations. I want to thank the Secretary General. It's been really incredible what's been taking place, and uh, he's been a fantastic host to a lot of countries. The uh, meetings I had on a bilat or close were pretty staggering. I think we set a new record, but you'll have to check that out. The, uh, we met very, very, uh, for pretty extended periods of time, either two-on-two, one-on-one, or just about at that level, with Pakistan, Poland, New Zealand, Singapore, Egypt, South Korea, United Kingdom, India, Iraq, Argentina, Germany, Brazil, France, Japan, Ukraine, Honduras, El Salvador, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman, UAE, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Other than that, we weren't too busy over the last three days. And unfortunately, the press doesn't even cover it. You know, we have we've made some fantastic deals like with Japan for farmers. We have a tremendous trade deal with uh, Japan and uh, that doesn't get covered because you waste your time on nonsense. The PMI manufacturers index uh, is has gone substantially up, which was an incredible Larry Cudlow, wherever you may be. Larry, please stand up. Uh, he just gave me these numbers. 
and existing new home sales are uh, through the roof. Just came out. Oil prices have gone down ever since the Saudi Arabia incident, and they've gone down very substantially, so we have plenty of oil. Uh, but those numbers were surprising to you, Larry, and the extent of the increase. Is that a correct statement? So thank you, Larry Kudlow. Uh, we uh, think we'll make this little announcement to you because important, uh, you know, the so-called whistleblower, the one that didn't have any first class or first rate or uh, second tier information from what I understand. You'll have to figure that out for yourself. Uh, but I've spoken with leader Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans, many of them, and we were going to do this anyway, but I've informed them, all of the House members, that I fully support transparency on the so-called whistleblower information, even though it was supposedly secondhand information, which is sort of interesting. Um, and other things have come out about the whistleblower that are also maybe even more interesting. But also insist on transparency from Joe Biden and his son Hunter on the millions of dollars that have been quickly and easily taken out of Ukraine and China. Millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars taken out very rapidly while he was vice president. And I think they should have transparency for that. I've informed the leader about that. And uh, additionally, I demand transparency from Democrats who went to Ukraine and attempted to force the new president, who I met and is an outstanding person who just met a little while ago. Some of you were there. I think he's going to be outstanding. He got elected on the basis of corruption. He wants to end corruption in Ukraine, and I think that's great. But they went there and they wanted to force the new president to do things that they wanted under the form of political threat. They threatened him if he didn't do things. Now, that's what they're accusing me of, but I didn't do it. I didn't threaten anybody. In fact, the press was asking questions of the president of Ukraine, and he said, no pressure. I use the word pressure. I think he used the word push, but he meant pressure, but it's the same thing. No push, no pressure, no nothing. It's all a hoax, hoax. It's all a big hoax. And the sad thing about this hoax is that we work so hard with all of these countries. And, I mean, really hard. This has been, I've been up from early in the morning to late in the evening and meeting with different countries, all for the good of our country. And the press doesn't even cover all of this. And it's disappear. It's really disappointing also to those countries that are with us and spend so much time with us. So we want transparency. We've informed Kevin McCarthy about transparency, and we said vote for it. So I think you'll have close to 100 percent of the Republican votes, I hope. And they got almost no attention. But in May, CNN reported that Senators Robert Menendez, Richard Durbin, and Patrick Leahy wrote a letter to Ukraine's prosecutor general expressing concern at the closing of four investigations they said were critical. In the letter, they implied that their support for U.S. assistance to Ukraine was at stake, and that if they didn't do the right thing, they wouldn't get any assistance. Gee, doesn't that sound familiar? 
Doesn't that sound familiar? And Chris Murphy, who I've been dealing with on guns, you know, so nice. He's always, oh, no, we want to work it out. We want to work it out. But they're too busy wasting their time on, on the witch hunt. So Senator Chris Murphy literally threatened the president of Ukraine that if he doesn't do things right, they won't have Democrat support in Congress. So you're going to look all of this up. One other thing, I'm just going off certain uh, notes and uh, elements of what we've been doing over the last three days, but this just came up a few minutes ago. The Amazon Washington Post just put out a fake article that acting director of national intelligence Joseph McGuire, who I've gotten to know, and he's a tough cookie, and I was surprised, I was shocked to hear this, was going to quit blaming the White House for something that they wouldn't let him talk openly, freely. And I was shocked because I know Joe, and he's tough, tough guy. And I was really surprised to hear he was going to quit. Before I could even either talk to him or talk to anybody else, he put out a statement I, I didn't speak to Joe yet, but he said, at no time have I considered resigning my position. In other words, the story in The Washington Post was a fake. At no time have I considered resigning my position since assuming this role on August 16th, 2019. I have never quit anything in my life, and I am not going to start now. I'm committed to leading the intelligence community to address the diverse and complex threats facing our nation. That's from the acting director of national intelligence, a very good man, Joseph McGuire. So we're having a great period of time. Our country is the strongest it's ever been economically. Our numbers are phenomenal. Wilbur, thank you, and Larry, everybody. The numbers are phenomenal. Our economy is the strongest in the world. We're the largest economy in the world. Had my opponent won, we would be second right now, because China was catching us so rapidly, we would have been second by this time. And unless somebody does a very poor job as president, we're going to be first for a long way, because we've picked up trillions and trillions of dollars in value and worth of our country, and China has lost trillions and trillions of dollars and millions of jobs and their supply chain. And they want to make a deal. This year, America came to the United Nations stronger than we have ever been before. Since my election, the United States has not only brought our economy to a level that we have never seen, the most jobs that we've ever had. You know, you've heard me say it many times, African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, the best unemployment numbers we've ever had and the most and best employment numbers, 160 million, very close to that number, in jobs we've never been anywhere close. Wages are up, and inequality is down, something that people don't like writing about, but wages are up. I used to speak during the campaign, and I talk about wages where people were making less money three years ago than they were making 21 years ago, 22 years ago, and they'd have two, two jobs and three jobs. So when I say three years ago, I'm talking into the area sometime prior to the election. 
And they were doing very badly. And now, for the first time in many years, wages are up and employment is up and unemployment is down. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. In a week of active and ambitious diplomacy here at the United Nations, America renewed our friendships. We advanced our values greatly and made clear to everyone that the United States will always defend our citizens. To promote prosperity, I met with Prime Minister Boris Johnson at length, the United Kingdom, continuing our discussions on a magnificent new bilateral trade deal. So we'll see what happens with respect to Brexit, but I suspect we'll have a fantastic deal with the UK. It should be much bigger than it has been over the last number of years, over the last 20 years, frankly. It should be a much bigger deal. That's true with many countries. We're going to have much bigger trade deals with a lot of countries that have an opportunity to come, and they all want to do business with the United States, especially now. Earlier today, I stood alongside Prime Minister Abe of Japan, a friend of mine, a great gentleman, had a great re-election. And we signed a terrific new trade deal, which tremendously helps our farmers and ranchers and technology. Uh, the technology companies are uh, really big beneficiaries. We also held very productive conversations with leaders of Pakistan, India, and many other nations on achieving stronger ties of fair and reciprocal trade. And with respect to Pakistan and India, we talked about Kashmir. And whatever help I can be, I said, I offered, whether it's arbitration or mediation or whatever it has to be, I'll do whatever I can because they're at very serious odds right now, and hopefully that'll get better. Uh, you look at the two gentlemen heading those two countries, two good friends of mine, I said, fellas, work it out. Just work it out. Those are two nuclear countries. They've got to work it out. This week, we also made incredible strides on national security. With President Duda of Poland, we signed a joint declaration advancing defense cooperation. And crucially, Poland has agreed to put up 100 percent of the money, something I don't think you've ever heard said before. But they're going to put up 100 percent of the money of hosting additional U.S. military personnel that we'll be taking from various other countries. We won't have more over. We'll have we'll be moving them around. Poland is building us phenomenal new facilities. They're spending everything and they're they're going to uh, really do a job. Uh, but we'll be moving a few thousand soldiers and Poland will be paying that for it. Together with Prime Minister Lee of Singapore, I signed an important agreement extending our defense cooperation. This hasn't been changed in many years. And yesterday I met with prospective members of the Middle East Strategic Alliance, which is a group that I know very well. I know all of them. And through this effort, the nations of the Middle East are taking more responsibility for securing their own future and their own neighborhood. And uh, they're also reimbursing us and paying us for uh, a lot of the military work that we incredibly do. But because we're now independent energy-wise, we're energy-independent, we have very few boats going over the Middle East. We used to have them going through the Straits all the time. And you probably noticed that uh, 
Every once in a while, they go after somebody else's. They haven't gone after us yet. If they do, they've got big problems. But we have very few boats going over there. They were saying the other day, they've never attacked an American boat. I'm not asking for trouble, but if they do, they know they have far bigger trouble. But then they said, but you know, we don't see very many American boats over here anymore. This week also brought extraordinary progress to nations of our own hemisphere. In recent days, we've achieved historic asylum cooperation agreements with El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. We were with El Salvador today. A great young gentleman became the president. He's strong and tough, and he's taking care of crime. He was really something today. I was very impressed with him. And likewise with Honduras, who we met, uh, we signed a cooperation agreement with both and also with Guatemala. We're working with our partners in Central America to ensure that asylum seekers can pursue relief as close to their home countries as possible. That'll make a tremendous difference at our southern border. And Mexico, I have to say, President Lopez Obrador has been outstanding and an outstanding partner and he's doing a great job in Mexico. Uh, the cartels are way down, and uh, the numbers, our secretary is here now, the numbers are way down, way, way down. And uh, we're doing that without the help of Congress, meaning the Democrats in Congress, who won't give us a single vote to take care of loopholes. We have loopholes that are so horrible, and it would be so easy to fix. And they know they should be fixed, but they don't want to do it because they don't want to give Trump any credit. Because it's all about the election. That's all they care about. They don't care about our country. They care about the election. And the sad part is, with all of the tremendous work that we've done this weekend, whether it's Secretary Mnuchin or Secretary Pompeo, who had some outstanding, outstanding meetings, with all of this tremendous work that we've done, uh, the press doesn't even cover it. And the Democrats did this hoax during the United Nations week. It was perfect. Because this way, it takes away from these tremendous achievements that we're taking care of doing, uh, that we're involved in, in New York City at the United Nations. So that was all planned, like everything else. It was all planned. And the witch hunt continues. But they're getting hit hard on this witch hunt. Because when they look at the information, it's a joke. Impeachment for that? When you have a wonderful meeting or you have a wonderful phone conversation, I think you should ask. We actually, you know, that was the second conversation. I think you should ask for the first conversation also. I can't believe they haven't. Although I heard there's a, there's a rumor out they want the first conversation. It was beautiful. It was just a perfect conversation. But I think you should do that. I think you should do. And I think you should ask for... VP Pence's conversation because he had a couple of conversations also. I could save you a lot of time. They were all perfect. Nothing was mentioned of any import other than congratulations. But the word is that they're going to ask for the first phone conversation. Uh, you can have it anytime you need it. And also Mike Pence's conversations, which were, I think, one or two of them. They were perfect. They were all perfect. Uh, it's very sad what the Democrats are doing to this country. They're dividing. They're belittling. They're demeaning our country.
So many leaders came up to me today and they said, sir, what you go through, no president has ever gone through. And it's so bad for your country. People laugh at the stupidity of what they've asked for. And here we could do asylum. We could do all of these different things so easily. We could do asylum quickly. We could do loopholes, get rid of them. Instead, we actually make deals with Mexico and with Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. And we're doing it with them instead of with our Congress. But we're doing it. We get it done. The wall is being built, by the way. It got little coverage. I went to the border. Uh, it's going up in New Mexico. It's going up in Arizona. It's going up in California. Believe it or not, they really wanted that wall in California, in San Diego. As soon as it was completed, they said, we don't want a wall. They were begging me for a wall. I should take it out and move it to another location. We were with uh, the governor, spoke to him a lot, but the governor of Texas, the lieutenant governor of Texas, attorney general of Texas, the senators of Texas, Corn and Ted Cruz. And uh, we're building an incredible wall. That's... Uh, going to, number one, it's going to look great. It's going to be virtually uh, impossible to cross unless you're one hell of a mountain climber. It's very tough. It's going to be very tough to get people and drugs over those walls because they're the real deal. Um, I went to the Secretary of Homeland Security and he got all his people together. I said, give me four walls, your optimum, every single thing included. And they give me 20% less, 20% less, and 20% less, meaning less cost. They came back. They said, this is the wall, sir. This would be the best. We have the panels on top, which are anti-climb panels. I don't know if you noticed the steel on top. We have a different design for a different area, but this anti-climb, it's very tough. They've, we had people going out and real climbers telling us which is the toughest to climb, but these are anti-climb panels. Very tough to get across, and the wall is going up uh, many miles a week. And we hope to have over 400, but maybe as much as 500 miles, which will pretty much do it because you have a lot of natural barriers. You have mountains. You have really rough rivers. You have some really rough land that you can't cross very easily. So they serve as their natural walls. But we uh, will have... We think over 400, but we could even have 500 miles uh, to combat the malice and corruption of both the Venezuelan and Iranian dictatorships. Today, I issued proclamation suspending the entry into the United States of senior regime officials and their families. And further, to promote American values. On Monday, I was proud to be the first president in history to host a meeting at the United Nations. I'm so surprised. First president for this. I can't believe that I'm first. I spoke to Franklin Graham about that. I can't believe it. At the United Nations on protecting religious freedom and liberty for people around the world. While some partisans and unelected bureaucrats in Washington may choose to fight every day against the interests and beliefs of the American people, my administration is standing up for the American people like no administration has in many, many years. You forgot the American people. You totally forgot the American people. This week, every, every week, I really can say, of my presidency, we're standing up for American prosperity, 
American security and the American way of life. And together with our friends and partners, we're building a more peaceful, prosperous, and promising future. We have a uh, tremendous relationship now with a lot of nations that are very happy with what's going on. And that includes in South America, where they've been so helpful, where nobody thought this would be possible. The relationship with Mexico, as an example, or El Salvador, or Honduras, or Guatemala. Nobody even knew about it. Yet we sent them hundreds of millions of dollars. And all we got back was caravans of people pouring in. We had tremendous, we had tremendous, it was terrible. And we've got that stopped, and the countries are now helping us. And we stopped those payments, by the way. We don't pay those countries that money anymore. But I will tell you, if they're as good as they seem to be, they're really doing a job on crime and stopping the wrong people from leaving and coming to the United States. We'll be helping them a lot with economic development projects and other things. So with that, we had a tremendous three days. It was beautiful to see. Uh, made a lot of new friends. Uh, I read you a list of all the countries I saw pretty much one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, it's been very busy, but it's been very, very fruitful. So we could take a couple of questions. I'd love some questions on some of the things that we accomplished at UNGA instead of the witch hunt, the phony witch hunt questions, which I know that's what you want to ask because uh, it's probably better for you, but it's not better for the country. So maybe we'll take a few, uh, a few questions, please. Thank you, Mr. President. You've suggested that you didn't do anything wrong in, in the course of your conversations with the Ukrainian president. Um, but can you explain to the American people why it is appropriate for an American president to ask a foreign leader for information about a political rival? And what you would have said if you discovered that Barack Obama perhaps had asked a foreign leader for information about you before yeah. you campaigned for the presidency? Well, that's what he did, isn't it, really, when you think about it. Look, that whole witch hunt was started. And hopefully that'll all come out. But there have been some fantastic books written that just came out. Whether you uh, look at Greg Jarrett or uh, McCarthy's book that just uh, just came out recently and so many other books. I mean, a lot of books are coming out. When you start reading those books, you see what they did to us. What they've done to this country is a disgrace. They've hurt this country very badly. And no other president should have to go through what I've gone through. Uh, the uh, president, the new president, of Ukraine is looking to stop corruption. Uh, there's a lot of corruption going on, and there was corruption. I just told you about senators that threatened him with votes and no money coming into Ukraine if they do things. That's really what people are trying to say that I did. But the only difference is I didn't do it. You take a look at that call. It was perfect. I didn't do it. There was no quid pro quo. But there was with Biden, and there was with these senators. Uh, and uh, they threatened. They said, you do this, you do that. We're not going to give you votes. That's, that's the real deal. So we have a, an honest group of people that have been maligned. And, you know, it's a lot of people say, I'll do, I'll do even better. I'm very happy. Yesterday, I guess we had a, a 53 poll, and a lot of people say, add 10 points to anything Anybody voting for Trump, you can add, anytime you get a poll, you can add 10 points or seven points or six points, take it any way you want. But I don't know if I consider that to be a compliment, 
But in one way, it is a compliment. And I guess that's what happened in the last election. Far more people came to vote than anybody thought possible. So, so why should the American people then be comfortable with an American president asking a foreign leader for information about American citizen? Well, I think you can look campaign. at your senators and you can look at Biden and you can look at all these other people. But what we're looking for is corruption. A, an investigation started called the Russian witch hunt, affectionately, and it was a total phony scam. It was set up by people within the government to try and stop somebody from getting elected. And after that, per after that person, namely me, won and convincingly won at 306 to 223 in the Electoral College, which, by the way, when you run a race, if you're running electoral, you know, if you go by the college, the Electoral College, that's a much different race than running popular vote. And it's like the 100-yard dash or the mild. You train differently. And I can't help it that my opponent didn't go to Wisconsin and should have gone much more to Michigan and Pennsylvania and other places, but that's the way it is. We won an election convincingly, convincingly, and then you had the text message on, well, if she doesn't win, we've got an insurance policy. How bad was that? You know what the insurance policy, that's sort of what has been taking place over the last number of years, the insurance policy. Now, there are a lot of very dishonest people. Uh, we're the ones that played it straight. And you know what? The millions of people out there that are looking at what's going on, those people understand it. They see it, and they think it's disgusting. And our people are being hurt, and our country is being hurt. When a Nancy Pelosi allows her position to be taken over by radical far-left uh, socialists, or worse, uh, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad, especially when the senators and all of these other people have actually done what they're accusing me of doing, which I didn't do. Uh, I'm going to have Mike Pompeo say a couple of words. I'm going to have Steve Mnuchin say a couple of words, and then we'll do a couple of more questions. Mr. President, I thought I'd, I'd start by talking about Iran. We had a, a productive week. Uh, we saw the Europeans uh, take a position with respect to the attacks that took place in Saudi Arabia, making clear this was Iran, uh, just as President Trump and I had been saying, uh, and have now joined us in saying that the existing JCPA framework is just not going to work. It's not going to solve the world's problems. It's not going to create Middle East stability. We're going to chat about uh, what we just heard from President Trump, and when uh, he starts speaking again, uh, we will go back to him at the Intercontinental Hotel in Midtown in New York. Um, first of all, we should just note uh, that he said a lot of things that were not true. Uh, and there is a big difference between senators saying, as you were talking about, we will withhold aid uh, unless your country starts cracking down on corruption versus we will withhold aid unless your country starts investigating these political opponents of mine. Completely. And again, having a, a domestic political issue uh, entangled into any foreign affairs discussion is a never good idea and in some cases could rise to the level of, well, all the kerfuffle we see here today. It, it is, I think, a dangerous thing to, to accept that this is the normal way that business is done. It's not. Yes, there's lots of, if you don't change, you won't get uh, missile systems. If you buy the SA-400s from Iran, 
we'll cut your aid. That happens every day in good diplomacy. But not this is not this. Go after my opponent. And it's important to note, I mean, in this specific accusation he's making against Biden, uh, you know, it was the entire global community, the EU, the IMF and the United States, a process that was worked through the interagency process. Biden was really the messenger on this, firing the prosecutor is what I mean. And there was aid in Ukraine, back. the prosecutor in, in Ukraine. Ukraine, exactly. In yeah. Ukraine. Um, that was a process that the global community supported, including reformists in Ukraine. So he alluded to kind of Trump's this- coming back. So let me interrupt and let's bring him back. Thank you. Christina Partsanellos, Fox Business. I want to focus on markets because I'll leave it to everybody else to talk about impeachment. Markets reacted positively after you spoke about China and that it would happen sooner rather than unexpectedly. Um, Yet you have the foreign minister of China saying that they have no intention of, you know, unseating the United States. And yet they're investing heavily in infrastructure and military. Not anymore, maybe. But what what is different And maybe they just say that, Christina. What is different this time, though? The fact that you're saying it's progressing. Oh, I just think it's progressing. I think they want to make a deal. They're losing their supply chain. You know, Do you have something killed. specific? Uh, well, I don't want to say that, but I can tell you that these two men, and in this case, uh, more specifically, Steve, uh, we're having some very good conversations. And I guess it's next week that a group is coming in and the week after. So we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of talks going on, and also by telephone. Uh, they want to make a deal. And you know why they want to make a deal? Because they're losing their jobs and because their supply chain is going to hell and companies are moving out of China and they're moving to lots of other places, including the United States. And that's not good. That's far worse than they thought. And by the way, in the meantime, we're taking in uh, billions and billions of dollars in tariffs. We're taking in tremendous numbers in tariffs. And we're helping our farmers who got targeted. Now, by the way, China is starting to buy our agricultural product again. They're starting to go with the beef and all of the different things. Pork, very big on pork. Uh, but uh, if you look and if you see, and they actually put out, I think, a statement, but they're starting very heavy to buy our ag again. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.